human being has dignity and value because every human being is made in God's image. Now, a few weeks ago, as we were studying through Colossians uh, together, and we're going to be back there today in Colossians chapter 3, but a few weeks ago, as we were talking about Colossians, uh, one of the things that I told you was that living the Christian life is in many ways like eating waffles for breakfast. Now, I don't I don't eat waffles much anymore, but I love waffles. And what I know is this, that the only right way to eat a waffle is to take the syrup and carefully pour it over the top so that every single square on the waffle gets some syrup in it. And syrup has an amazing property as it hits your waffle. You, know, you get a hold of that ego or whatever, or maybe if you're really good, you, you made them in the actual waffle iron. I mean, that's when you're living your best life, right? And uh, you pull that waffle out and you fill each one of those with, with syrup. And what happens? The syrup soaks in and it alters the character of the waffle. It changes it. And uh, and in the same way, the objective of the Christian life is to have Jesus fill every single square, every single part of your life and to, and to soak in to you and to alter the character of what He soaks into. Amen? And as Christians, we are called to live a fully Christian life, one in which Jesus is fully integrated into and changes every part of how we live our life. And when we do that, what happens to us is that we begin to possess a virtue that is not much honored except in its absence. And that virtue is the virtue of integrity. You have integrity. It's that it's that you're consistent all the way through your life. That there are no that you didn't you didn't take what should be steel and fill it in with wax, or what should be what should be uh, porcelain and just color it the same color. That you have integrity. That your your character is consistent through every part of your life. And by the way, men and women, do we need that today? Do we miss that when it's absent in our churches or in our political leaders or in our, in our jobs or in our schools when people are lacking in integrity? Doesn't our heart cry out for that? Yes, it does. And God calls us, men and women, to be fully Christian in every part of our life. And, and to be fully Christian, to have integrity even in the places where it's hardest, and guess where the hardest place of all is? In our own homes. And so that's what I've titled this message today, Fully Christian Even at Home. Because lots of us do pretty good at being Christian at church. You know, we can present a very appealing vision of who we are to the people that we're around for an hour and fifteen. And we can make everybody think that we have got this Christian life thing figured out pretty well. Play that game. And look pretty good. 
We can convince the people that we work with, oh, that guy is really into that Christian thing. But the people at home, they know us for who we are. They, they understand that many times coming to the place where you let your hair down also means coming to the place where you let your sin show. And so we want to be fully Christian in every realm, every part of our lives, have every little square filled with Jesus and altered by Him. And the scripture we're going to look at together today gives us, I think, some amazing insight into how to live a fully Christian life. It doesn't tell us everything we need to know, uh, but it does hit the high spots in the Christian life at home. The scripture has a whole bunch to say about this area, but it does give us kind of a summary of, of some very important areas. And before we get into it, what I want to do is ask for God the Holy Spirit to work in us and preparing us to receive what He has to say. So let's, let's do pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we, we do pray for the homes that are represented in this place and those online as well. Father, we, we know it's hard to have Jesus integrated into soaking into changing every part of our lives, especially at home, especially with the people we love most and are closest to, but who see us in our weakest moments too. Father, but more than anything, we want to live a life that is pleasing to You in every part. In the inner person, at home, as well as at work, as well as at school, in public as well as private. Father, we ask that You would work in our hearts. We ask that You would enable us to receive Your Word and that it would soak into us and change us as Jesus folks in to our life. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to read the text for you. Uh, beginning in verse 18 of Colossians chapter 3, going through verse 21. Uh, verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, what is often missed about this passage and other passages elsewhere in the New Testament, and there are several others uh, elsewhere in the New Testament that are similar, is how wildly countercultural they not only are today, but were in the time they were written. In other words, this has never been a passage that simply reflected the culture in which it was written. It was meant to transform the culture then and the culture today. The culture then was scary if, if you were growing up in a home in the ancient world, many times it was not a safe place. Fathers literally exercised the power of life and death over their children. 
Men could abuse their wives with impunity. They were treated little better than cattle. And by the way, there are still places in the world where that is true. Here in America, we have many problems, but thankfully, that is not one of them in most cases. But this passage still cuts across the grain with us too. And it is meant to, because it's meant to transform not only ancient culture, but our culture. And what we see is that as you look at the Scriptures, because of the curse in Genesis 3, because of the results of sin, that God's original design for husbands and wives and harmonious families uh, has been corrupted. And uh, we can err in one of a couple of directions. You can err, on the one hand, into abuse, as many in the ancient world did, and as, as many in the uh, modern world in many places still do. You can also err in the other direction into a leaderless, directionless, chaotic home in which nobody knows what we're, where we're going and what we're doing. And there's a constant struggle for leadership and direction. But this passage, along with the other New Testament passages like it, is countercultural and it is transformative. And it presents us all with a vision of following Jesus in our home life in a way that transforms merely genetically related people who share the same space into a loving home. A real home, not just a house with people in it. And how it happens is that every single person within a Christian home is called to follow Jesus in the role that He has given them regardless of what that role happens to be. And there are four distinct areas of following Jesus uh, in your home that are addressed. The first one that we see is in verse 18, where wives are addressed, that being fully Christian at home includes uh, being a submitting wife. Now in verse 18 Paul speaks to the wives first, and the command that he gives them is, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that's a simple command, but it contains a lot of information that we need to understand if we're going to rightly apply this passage. First of all, let me address the word submit. The word submit is not equivalent in verse 18 to the word obey in verse 20. Because men, whether you understand this or not, you need to understand this. Your wife is not a child. And she is not called to obey you in the way that if you're a child, you're called to obey your parents. The word submit carries the idea of voluntarily, because of the role you have before the Lord, placing yourself under your husband's leadership voluntarily doing this. I'm going to submit to my husband because, not because of him, but because of the Lord. Uh, and it also is a present imperative verb. Now, I know most of you are not grammarians. Maybe you didn't even like that part of English class. 
But here's what you need to understand. The Greek present imperative means two things. First of all, that this is a command. This is not an optional extra. If you're going to follow Jesus as a wife, you need to obey this. And on top of that, that it is a present tense verb. And in, 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 in the Greek language in which uh, this passage is originally written, that carries the idea of an ongoing present tense action. Something that you continue to do repeatedly in the present. Not something you get to say, yep, did that once. Um, uh, nailed it. And uh, on with life, right? No, it's an, on, it's an ongoing present tense action. And then in addition, notice the next two words, to your husbands. Now, please understand this. There is no calling in the Bible anywhere for women in general to submit to men in general. Now, a woman might be called to submit to the governing authorities, that's, but that's applicable to all Christians. A woman might be called to submit to the leadership of her church, but that's a calling that's incumbent on all Christians. And there is no, there is no command in Scripture for women to submit to women in general to submit to men in general, though. It's to your own husband. And finally, take note of the last phrase here. If you're a wife, uh, this is for you. Um, by the way, man, you don't need to read this. You don't need to worry about this. It's not written to you. You can safely ignore that command in the Scripture. Uh, but if you're a wife, you need to pay attention to this. Uh, look at the last phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. Now that tells you two very important things. That number one, that doing this is part of what it means for you as a wife to follow Jesus. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to submit to my husband. Not because of him, but because I follow Jesus. Not because he is a man of exemplary character. Not because ideally he is, but not, be, not for that reason. But because I follow Jesus. And I, and Jesus, and what He calls me to do matters more than what my husband is asking. And then secondly, as is fitting in the Lord is also a qualifier. It limits the realms in which you have to submit. Uh, as is fitting in the Lord means there are times and issues where a wife does not and must not submit to her husband because it would not be fitting in the Lord to do so. So let me give some examples. A, 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 a wife does not submit to abuse. She does not submit to abuse. Period. And ladies, if your husband is beating you, come see me. Because we will deal with that. And we will do whatever is necessary to put a stop to it. A wife does not submit to abuse. She does not submit to criminality. 
if you're a drug dealer or a gangbanger or whatever else, you can't tell your wife, you got to go along with this. No, she does not have to go along with that. If you're doing something which is illegal, submission to you does not mean that you get to drag her down with you. Uh, it doesn't mean that she has to submit to infidelity. It doesn't mean that she has to submit to you and your sin. As is fitting in the Lord. She is not called ever to disobey God's commands to her in following you. But only to submit as is fitting in the Lord. Now, let me also say this. If you are not a wife, but you are thinking about becoming a wife someday, can I just give you some application on this? That you need to look for a man who is godly. A man who is godly. Because that will make doing this a whole lot easier. I said in the first service, and it's true, I could bring Karen up here if I wanted, and she was willing, um, and have her tell you all of the ways in which it has been a challenge over 24 years to submit to and follow me. And ladies, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how hard is it for you to submit to the clown you married? It is hard. Even if he is a godly man, it's hard. Why? Because he's a sinner. And so are you. And because you both married sinners, this is tough. So don't make it harder on yourself if you're a single woman and you have a choice. Don't marry and please don't do this. Don't make me counsel this one more time. Some dear, beloved, Jesus-loving, God-honoring, Walking with God, woman comes into my, into my office and says, I want to get married. And I go, great, what's the guy like? Does he know Jesus? And she goes, well, and I know I'm in trouble then. Right? And, I, and then I say to her things like this, you know, you shouldn't marry someone who isn't a follower of Jesus. And they go, well, but we, you know, our love will be enough. Trust me, as someone who's been married 24 years, no, it won't. No, it won't. Okay? Because marriage is tough. Why? Because it's meant to be the, the vehicle, one of the primary vehicles in my life, by the way, which God has reshaped my character and made me more like Jesus, is, is being in relationship with Karen. Not because she is hard to get along with, but because I am. And don't make this any harder than it has to be. Because trust me, if you marry some ungodly dude and Jesus calls you to submit to Him, that your life is going to get straight vertical in a hurry. Don't date that guy. Don't marry that man. Trust me. Trust me when I say I can give you names of women I know who have done it. And it has been galling to their soul for 50 years. Don't do that. 
Marry a man that you can feel comfortable following because you know he's going to lead you to Jesus. And by the way, and I also say this, here at Chillicothe Bible Church, we have a lot of women who do this well. A lot of women who do this very well. And it beautifully honors the Lord. And it beautifully reflects Jesus. Because, by the way, there is something very Jesus-like about choosing to lay your life down in submission to someone else. And for their benefit, for their blessing, for their aid, for their help. Because that is what Jesus did for us. Amen? He submits to the Father's will to bring about transformation of other people. And so there's something very Jesus-like about choosing voluntarily to do that and to follow Jesus in that for a lifetime. And if you meet a woman who does this well in her family, you will meet a woman who is very much like Jesus. Now, the next way in which Jesus transforms our home, making us fully Christian even at home, is making Christian husbands into loving husbands. Christian husbands into loving husbands. We're told in verse 19, and men, highlight this in your Bible, if you're married especially, Highlight this in your Bible. This is for us. You can black out verse 18. You don't need to read it. But you need to highlight this one. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is a two-sided command to us as husbands. The words used here for love have in mind a self-sacrificial laying down your life for the good of someone else kind of love. Now, I'm not a golfer, but I'm going to give you an example from golf. I, I, I took up golf a, a couple of times. I was not any good at it. I couldn't hit the ball. It didn't make sense to me why we would want to because then I just had to chase it, and there was nothing you could eat at the end of the game. And, and so, anyway, I, I, I don't golf. But, but I admire this guy. And his name is Ben Hogan. Uh, he's one of only five men in history to, all, to ever win all four major golf tournaments. All four majors, he won them all. In fact, he won nine major tournaments in his career. He won three majors in the same year, which is known as the Triple Crown. In his career, he won 64 tournaments overall. In 1949, when Ben Hogan was at the peak of his career, he and his wife were driving home to their house in Fort Worth, Texas, from a golf tournament out in the western part of the state. And it was foggy on the night that they came home. And as they came to a narrow bridge with only room for one car on each side, a Greyhound bus that very moment to pass the car on their side. And he and his wife were hit head on. And just in an instant in reaction, Ben Hogan flung his body over in front of his wife Valerie just before impact. Now you need to know that she walked away without a scratch 
without a scratch. Because he threw his body away. And this is a guy who relied on his body, his athleticism, to make his living. But he threw his body away in front of his wife. And he suffered, check out this list of injuries, a double fracture in his pelvis, a broken collarbone, a chipped rib, a broken left ankle, and several near-fatal blood clots. He spent a total of 59 days in the hospital. And it took him months to recover after that to where he could play golf again. But to protect her, he laid down his life. And most of us men are pretty good at the big stuff like that, right? If Pearl Harbor gets hit, we go sign up. If, if your wife hears a noise in the night, you don't go, well, sweetheart, get the bat and go check that out. I'll be here under the covers. <laughs> you know, we don't do that, right? If you do do that, you need a testosterone transplant or something, okay? Don't do that, <laughs> all right? Um, but there are lots of areas of being a husband that aren't as dramatic as all that. How about this? How about preferring her company to that of other people? How about caring for her needs? How about being loyal to her and how you speak about her? Being faithful to her with your mind and with your eyes and with your hands and your lips and your heart most of all. Because men, when we stood before God and made our vows, we bound all those things too. And they include an aspect of laying down your life for her. And the word also says here, do not be harsh with them. And can I just say that's our natural, sinful Genesis 3 and the curse inclination. That men, in general, are stronger physically and have louder voices that carry further than our wives do. And, it, and our natural sinful inclination is to use those things to intimidate and to rule over and dominate our homes and even our wives. But a godly man is gentle. With his wife. And he's gentle. And he doesn't pull rank. And say well I wear the pants around here. And so therefore this is what we're doing. By the way if you do that. Give yourself an F for the day. On being a husband. No gold star for you. Okay, You flunked. Because. If you're godly. You don't have to do that. He will respect and follow you willingly. You don't have to big time anybody. And men, can I also point, just give you another point of application for those of you who aren't husbands yet but who would like to be uh, one day. Let me just say this. Hold out for a woman who is pursuing Christ hard and following Him. Because a woman who does that well 
will find it easy to follow you, even though you're a sinner. And she will find it easy to repent with you and to resolve conflict with you and to enjoy being with you. Do not fall, young man, hear me on this. Do not fall into the trap of doing what my dad called getting a girl who looks good in the car. Okay? Now, there's not a verse that says that, but let me tell you this that's based on a lot of biblical truth. Because a girl who looks good in the car is a girl you have to take home sooner or later and have to live with. And if all she's got is looks, those do not last. Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. That a godly wife is worth far more than rubies. That he who finds a good wife finds favor from the Lord and finds what is good in life. And trust me, as a guy who has found a good and godly wife, that the Scripture on that is exactly right. It's exactly right. And every day, I wake up feeling very blessed and very undeserving. I really do. Not just saying that because she is sitting here filming this. It is really a blessing to be married to my wife. I could, I could wish her on anybody. Because it is delightful to be married to a good and godly woman. But if you get the other kind? Well, Proverbs has some things to say about that too. Like a constant dripping is a contentious woman. Contentious wife is like bone cancer. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things like that. That is in there. Okay. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't make this harder than it has to be. It's hard enough to be successfully married and experience God's blessing. So husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Two more things here about being fully fully Christian even at home. Verse 20, we see that being fully Christian even at home includes obedient children. Now, if you're a child... I know that I am, I am, from your perspective, basically as old as dirt, okay? And you're right, the earth's crust was still cooling when I was a kid. But, uh, please understand this, I was once a child. And your parents were once children as well. And they know, and I know, how hard it is to do this. How hard it is to do this. But please understand this. There are no qualifications or limitations that are given to you in the text on obeying mom and dad. There's no escape hatch that says, well, obey mom and dad unless you really don't want to. Right? Now, are there circumstances that are biblical in which you need to not obey mom and dad? Sure. But 99.9% of all commands from mom and dad are going to be absolutely God-honoring and biblical. If you think you might fall into the 0.1%, come see Pastor Josh, come see me, 
And if you are in a situation where you're being abused or mistreated in some way, we will help you. We will help you with that. We absolutely will come to your aid and we'll do whatever is necessary to ensure that that stops. But 99.9% of the time, that's not the circumstance. It's just that mom and dad are giving me instruction and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to clean my room. I don't want to do the laundry. I don't want to whatever. I don't want to rake, etc. Right? I've been a kid. I know what it's like. Right? But here, here's the command on this. It says, for this pleases the Lord. You see that? In your, in your Bible, look at your Bible. Don't take my word for it. You might not know it, but nowhere in the Scripture, if you're a child, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to wait until you grow up to live a life that's pleasing to God. You don't have to wait. Children are not the next generation of Christ followers. They are this generation of Christ followers. They're the present, not the future. And you don't have to wait if you're a child to grow up and then you can really do something to serve the Lord. You serve the Lord right where you are in the way you follow mom and dad. And by the way, as you do that, it's going to carry all kinds of blessing for you. Because I know what you think. You think that when I get to be an adult... I'm going to grow up and I'm going to live on my own and no one will tell me what to do. Now some of you adults are laughing right now because you know that you never get there, right? That you never get to a situation in which no one can tell you what to do. In fact, what happens is, is that you trade two people who tell you what to do for 200 people who tell you what to do. Bosses and mayors and police officers and governors and presidents and legislators and judges and all kinds of people that tell you what to do for the rest of your life. And so you need practice as you're a child with people who love you. Learning how to submit to people who are in authority over you. And if you don't learn how to do that, you're going to have a rough go of it in life later on. You really will. You meet those people sometime. I know this show has been canceled, but you see them on cops. Right? You can just pick them out. Uh, there's a guy. You see that guy? He never learned how to listen to mom and dad. That's why he's running from the police right now. Right? He never learned how to obey his parents as his and please the Lord. That's why he's down on the down on the ground with the with the cuffs on his on his back, right? Don't do that. Learn how to please the Lord and follow mom and dad right now. Life doesn't have to be hard. Um. All right. Last thing here, verse twenty-one. Uh, we see that being fully Christian at home includes encouraging fathers. Now it's interesting to me as I look at this that fathers alone are addressed. Now, I think that's for two reasons. Number one, uh, fathers alone are addressed because mothers kind of naturally do this. 
they're kind of naturally, in general at least, more nurturing, more encouraging, um, uh, a little more, there's a little more slack in the rope usually with mom than there is with dad. And fathers tend to be much more demanding, but also I think fathers are addressed because of this. Because biblically, if you're a father, you are primarily accountable for raising your children. You remember the creation. As God made the woman, he made the woman to help the man. That doesn't mean she, he made her to be his, his servant. That means he made her to be his aid, his help, the one who comes alongside him and shares with him the calling God lays on his life. But if you're a dad, what our natural tendency is to do this. Okay, I helped conceive him. Now your responsibility. That is not what it means to be a father. To be a father means to take the lead in raising your children and helping them to know the Lord and to have your wife, their mother, come alongside and help you do that. Not to push it all off on her. You're, her, you're the father. Because, and God holds fathers ultimately responsible in the created order. He is you are the one that God will ultimately call to account. Now look at the command. It says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The word provoke is a word that has to do with constant criticism, constant nagging, constant uh, correction. Right? Uh, constant fault finding. It's the idea of being a father who is sparing with praise and generous with criticism when it ought to be the reverse. You know, I've met some of these people sometimes. I have been this person sometimes. Well, I know you got six A's and one A minus this semester, but it should have been all A's because you're obviously capable of doing that. Or, well, I know that you hit two two home runs, but since your team lost, you know if you had if you had just caught that fly ball in the seventh, you'd probably won. Or I know that you you made eight tackles in a sack, but you really should have got nine tackles and two sacks. You feel me? And it is easy to fall into this. As dads, we want our kids to excel and we know how tough life is and we want our kids to be tough and we want them to be able to do it. We want them to, to be able to hack it. And so we, a lot of times, get the balance wrong between praise and criticism. And so we, we criticize ten times more than we praise when we ought to do the reverse. We're proud of them. We want to push them hard to strive. But if what you do is spend most of your energy critiquing rather than encouraging, you will find your kids have one of three reactions. 
One is that they will give up and just say, look, I, I, I can't please the man. I can't ever make him happy. The heck with him. Another is that they will try really hard over and over and over and never feel like they measure up. Another possibility is that they will develop an I'll show you attitude. And they will too. But all three of those responses will harden and make difficult the relationship you have with them as an adult. And a lot of times, I'll show you means I'll show you somewhere else a long way away from wherever you are. Now, let me be honest here. I'm a dad. I have four kids. I've failed in this more times than I would like to admit. And I don't know much about parenting, really. I really don't. What we've told our kids is, we did our best. <laughs> and for everything else, we're sorry. <laughs> okay, we really did. We did our best. But here's the thing. Here's something I do know. Be more generous with praise than with criticism. By at least 10 to 1. Remember that you're raising an adult, not a child. Now, I understand they are children at a certain point. But your goal is not that they remain children, but that they become adults. And you don't want to be so overbearing that they grow up fearful and timid because you haven't let them experience anything. And so they grow up scared of the world rather than confident that they can navigate it. And you want to take a, a healthy balance, especially over time, especially as they move into high school, between pushing them to take on new levels of responsibility and giving them freedom to enjoy their emerging adulthood. Now, Trust me when I say this. We have not done this all right. My kids are not even all grown, which makes, makes me very reluctant to speak about these things because I really don't know what I'm doing. Okay, don't tell them that, but I just did. Um, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure it out before the Lord as best I can, but I can take a passage like this and I can apply it to myself. There's no call for the Christian father to be harsh. To be overly demanding. To be unpleasable. Instead, we've got to be encouraging. You know, many men find themselves having far more fun as grandpa than they did as dad. I'm not saying that grandpa and dad are the same person. They're not. Grandpa has a different role, right? I, I make sure my kid gets broccoli. Grandpa makes sure he gets ice cream, right? Um, we have different roles. But at the same time, Grandpa is sometimes a lot more encouraging than Dad. 
and that shouldn't necessarily be either. So that's probably enough challenge for all of us this week. Let's pray and ask for God's help. God, our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that You are indeed a good Father. That You love us with an everlasting love. That You lay down Your life for us. You, you, um, you pursue our good. You sent Your Son to die in our place that we might um, live to You. Father, all of the things that You have called us to do are things that Jesus has done. He is loved. He is a good husband uh, to us, His bride, the church. He's been a child who had to learn obedience. Uh, he has been the one who submits to Your will. And Father, as, uh, as He leads us, He's never harsh with us. He doesn't provoke us, but He encourages us every day. And Father, because Jesus has been our example in all these things, because Jesus has done all these things, Father, we pray that we might shine forth the light of the Gospel and Jesus' presence within us in the same way. That we might reflect Jesus' image that's just in a way that's just like a mirror where people look at us and see Jesus instead. And Father, that is our hope and our goal. We need Your Holy Spirit. We need Your grace. We need Your mercy to come near to these things. And we pray that You would give it to us, Father. Uh, daily transform us. Let Jesus soak into us even deeper, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.